It all starts with one idea. Have you ever wondered how today's top CEOs, business leaders, and people who work for the most innovative companies in the world found success? Join host George Davison as he explores the innovators that are shaping tomorrow's world today. Today we have John Halverson, who is the Director of Marketing for SMC. They're a company that does pneumatics and a lot of other advanced technology out there. But I like to think of them as uh, a robot maker as well. Good morning, John. Good morning, George. Thanks for having me. It's great to have you here today. Well, I'm hoping that today we can uh, help our audience take a look into the future a little bit as to where the jobs of the future are and if we can explain a little bit about how you got to where you are in your career. Uh, maybe we can shed some light on how things come to be. Sounds good. All right. Well, can you tell me a little bit about how SMC was actually founded? Yeah, absolutely. S- SMC was a uh, started in 1959 in Japan making uh, the first product that they manufactured was centered metal elements for industrial filters out of a garage, just a, a really small location. And over the next dozen years, SMC started manufacturing other components for industrial automation, including solenoid valves, pneumatic actuators, and air preparation equipment, so filters, regulators, lubricators to prepare the compressed air, which is uh, pneumatics is the use of compressed air. Mm-hmm. And um, since then, since that time, uh, I guess in 1977, we SMC started their U.S. subsidiary, SMC Corporation of America. I wasn't there at that time. That was a while ago. <laughs> I would hope not. Right? Um, so, and since then, we're now the world's largest supplier of component pneumatic components for industrial automation, as well as we offer a lot of other products for industrial automation and process automation. Interesting. So for the audience, let's kind of walk it back a little bit and kind of break this into two pieces. Okay. If we could know a little more about your founder and what was the cause, if you know back when, what caused the founder to actually create the organization? That would be the first part of the question. And then can we talk a little more about describing how pneumatics works and why it works the way it does? Right. So uh, those are great questions. Our founder, uh, Mr. Takata, was really looking for what customers needed. That's really been the driving principle of the company ever since ever since it started, is listening to customers mm-hmm. in the industrial automation space and finding out, oh, do you have a problem? We can help you with it. We can help you fix that. And we can try to create a unique solution that really helps customers um, to become more efficient and uh, to you know to, to lower their lower their operating costs or lower their production costs. So, in a way, he was using his observational skills and his listening skills and going out to an audience and inquiring how, what are their needs so that he could figure out a way to maybe help fulfill those needs, and that created an opportunity. Is that fair? That, that's a perfect assessment of it, yes. It's, if, there's a, if there's a need... Let's find a, let's really understand that need from a lot of different angles, mm-hmm. and then let's um, let's de- develop a product that's going to fit that need, so that um, 
and then and then there's the whole everything after you know the the um, all the all the work that comes after that but having that idea and and a need from a customer is really the first step wonderful so that's great for the audience to understand you know when you're starting out in the world it's uh trying to understand how to figure out your way in life and what you may be interested in doing with your career. So it seems as though he figured out that he wanted to solve some problems for, company, you know, for companies. That's right. Okay. And then so he became uh, somewhat uh, of an expert in the world of pneumatics. And so for the audience, you know, I, why don't we delve into that a little bit and try to describe it in such a way that they can really grasp what air and pressure is all about it, in their own home. We see that, or even in the human body, they have they have a pneumatic system, don't they? Right. So I would guess that of all your listeners, 99% of them have a pneumatic device in their garage. It's called a bike pump. So ah. a bike pump is essentially uh, taking air and compressing it into the bike tire. Mm-hmm. So a, a an industrial pneumatic system works very similarly, except it's working in opposite. We're using an industrial compressor to charge the, the tank or the tire, and then we're releasing the air in the other direction. So in a, in a, for, a bike, for a bike pump, you're, using, you're creating the force. Mm-hmm. You're pumping the tire. In, a, in an industrial application, the bike pump's moving on its own. It's generating, it's using the compressed air as an energy source, and then it's perhaps holding a, a workpiece in place in a machine. It's perhaps it's moving a box off a conveyor belt. So the, the force is not applied by the by the human hand. The force is applied ah. by the bike pump itself. So it's it's like a bike pump in reverse. Wonderful. So in other words, like if I'm on the Amazon uh, production line, there's a million packages coming down there a day. I wouldn't want to be the human being having to push the box off the assembly line a million times that day. That's so, exactly right. Your arm would get tired. Right. right. So, <laughs> so a pneumatic arm, an air compressor, an air compression is starting to move that that lever to right. push the box off the line, isn't it? That's right. Yeah, and it's uh, without getting too deep into the the math, it's uh, force equals pressure times area. So if I have 80 pounds per square inch or 60 pounds per square inch of compressed air. And if I have um, a a small piston, that's going to be a smaller force. If I have a big heavy box, I need a big piston. Big piston is more area. Mm -hmm. Force equals pressure times area. So a bigger area behind the piston means bigger force. Wonderful. Hey, we just got the. We just figured out that math, 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 is math important. Works. Yeah, I, I actually had a use for it. <laughs> turns out, that's great stuff. Well, thanks for that. Hopefully, that gets a, a picture going in our audience's mind as to how the world of pneumatics somewhat came about, and then uh, how it's making an impact to make, let's say, work life better for human beings. Right. Right. So, um, so let's talk a little bit about your position at SMC, and uh, you know, let's. Can you walk me back to let's say? Can you remember back when you were in high school and what was going on? And you know, take us through some of the good, and if you can tell us a little failure or two along the way. You know, like we usually fail our way forward in life, and uh, I think it's good for our young people to understand that that's normal. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I was um, in, went to high school in the Midwest, and um, 
I always knew I was on an engineering route, so um, I applied to to um, to several schools and was accepted to most of them, and uh, went to school for mechanical engineering. And it I was actually a mechanical engineer for ten years, but mm -hmm. found that that wasn't really the right fit for me. Interesting. And uh, went back to school and got a uh, master an MBA, Masters of Business Administration. And then, interestingly, ended up right back at the same company that I started. <laughs> so I left engineering, which uh, the company was SMC. I left, did some other things, got an MBA, and said, I'm, I'm going to go work in business, and ended up right back at the same company that I started with um, in, in more of a business role. Um, so I've, I worked in a product, man product manager position, which is kind of in-between between our engineering group and our sales group were trying in, in and, and really if I could summarize my position, um, we in in industrial marketing we're looking for what do customers need mm -hmm. and trying to understand how do we design products for the future. So that's probably the, the number one most important thing that, that my group and my department does. Interesting. So when you're developing products for the future, of course companies don't know what those things are yet. So, part of the marketing, uh, part of the marketing need is to try to figure out a way to communicate the future in such a way that your new customer out there is going to understand what that new future could look like. Right. That's right. Yeah. So sometimes it's in order to get a new product. Um, like a baseline of a product, we may have to create a prototype mm -hmm. and show that prototype to customers and say, because if, if you go to, if you go with a blank piece of paper yes. to a hundred different uh, manufacturing locations, you're going to get a hundred different answer, hundred different ideas. So we we kind of have to narrow it down to a couple, um, you know, uh, to to a few things that that are viable. And so a prototype product we might bring to a customer and say, well, do you like this one? And what do you like about it? What do you not like about it? And a lot of products, a lot of prototypes that we come up with don't ever even end up as, uh, as, as products in the end just because um, we, we had a better idea or we found that there, weren't, there wasn't a lot of interest in that product. So uh, the, the, the whole process of product development is... Um, it's there's a lot of starts and stops, yeah. and um, and it's just really important to collect that data over time and really study it and really understand what customers want and need. That's great information. So that uh, when the students are actually developing their ideas into prototypes, and then they have to go out and talk in front of other people about what it is, uh, you know, we would hope they have had enough time to fail a few times to perfect their product to get to the point where when they get out there they really have they're feeling good about what they created and they feel as though they are bringing something to their audience that uh, that they need right right yes uh, if I think the act of going through failure in a safe environment in a controlled safe environment mm -hmm. is is a good thing you learn a lot from from that um, I, I don't like to always call it failure. You know, failure. It could just be a uh, an idea that never blossomed, or an idea that that uh, <laughs> stopped because you had another idea. There's so many different things we can do with our 
time every day and I could have a hundred ideas in my you know written on a piece of paper but I only have time for two or three of them so right. a lot of times we have to table those other ideas and, and try to but I, I always try to hold on to any of those ideas so that we're not um, so we don't have to, you know sometimes idea generation brainstorming um, we, we want to catalog those those unblossomed ideas and maybe we'll come back to them at some point in the future mm -hmm. so it's a learning process is what we're what we're getting at, right? Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you're uh, you ended up as a marketing person, but started off as an engineering person. It's an interesting uh, path that you've traveled on. Uh, were there any other, uh, you know, work-related uh, experiences that you had in between? So um, it was a it was a gradual shift. Is the uh, Working as an engineer was um, one thing that I found was I was spending a lot more time with interfacing with my computer, mm -hmm. uh, doing designs, and I, I really felt like I didn't have that personal connection with people. So the it was a pretty quick uh, turn to go from engineering and then to move more into a business role. But what I found was it's really for for me at least. Um, I really enjoy the people aspect and, and the communication, collaboration with others, that um, working as a design engineer, you, you do have that to a point, but um, what I enjoy about my job now is, is it's a lot more, there's a lot more um, communication with others and presenting ideas, explaining concepts to others. Sounds like you've evolved from when you were younger to where you are now and you've identified stepping stones to go from one to another and it's okay to do that in life right absolutely yeah if if i i'm still changing i never thought i'd be on a podcast with with you <laughs> um so you know every and it's uh, but i'm not going to be intimidated i'm not going to say oh i can't do that i might try it and it doesn't work out that well but that's fine mm -hmm. i'll i'll um i'll go back i'll list, i'll regroup and i'll figure out how do i do it better next time oh that's a great attitude and it's great. Hopefully, hopefully, we can give some of that confidence into the kids too. You know, right? The um, so, how important would you say STEM-based classes for someone um, interested in, let's say, pursuing a career with your company? How important would something like that be? It's it's going to be pretty important, but there's it's not it's not a be all end all. There's there are we have a lot of. Um, we have a lot of opportunities for outgoing people who like to be in front of customers to go and uh, sell our product. We actually have a six-month training program to try to, I'll, call, I'll say, uh, level off some of the, for, for those who didn't have the, the STEM training, we can provide that. We actually have a six-month training program where we can provide that for them. Nice. However, it does help. The more you bring to the table, the better off you're going to be. Mm. And it doesn't even have to be formal training, just uh, something as simple as knowing knowing the difference between a crescent wrench and a pair of pliers. Knowing, um, uh, if I can tell you a story really quickly, I had uh, one of the first jobs that I had in between as, as, a, as a student, as an engineering student, I was working in this, um, at this company for, for the summer that made these uh, plastic 
um, uh, uh, water, um, like for a drainage ditch or something. It made the mm-hmm. plastic uh, pipes for, for drainage ditches. All right. And I was trying to, I was wrestling with this thing, trying to figure out, they wanted me to pressure test it. And I asked for some help from one of the maintenance guys there, one of the maintenance workers. And um, he, I'm like, I'm sitting there with a screwdriver trying to, try, or with a, um, trying to tighten a bolt. He's like, well, son, I'll tell you what your problem is. You don't have to remember my name. You don't have to remember anything about this. But I want you to remember one thing. When you're screwing in a bolt, righty-tighty, lefty-loosey. Mm. I was trying to thread it the wrong way. I was going the wrong way. So just some of those simple, um, just you know, being able to work with your hands, um, just uh, little things like that can, can really go a long way in, in establishing what you know and then building a platform so that you can build on top of that. That's great. And that, that's a, thank you for that story, by sure. the way. That's, uh... And I don't remember the guy's name <laughs> either. Maybe, maybe he, he told me not to remember it, so I subconsciously right. forgot it. Well, he sounds like a great guy. Yeah. You know, he's willing to help help the uh, the young buck coming that's up right. through the system, right? That's right. <laughs> well, that's great. All right. Thank you for sharing that. How about the, um, how would students uh, get hand-on experience to build skills that they may be able to use in their adult lives? Do you have any suggestions? I mean, that was a good story. Is it just go out and, let's say, work on your bicycle and take it apart? Or do you have any suggestions on how to get hands-on uh, with some mechanical experience? Yeah, so definitely look at your opportunities. Maybe you have a, a, a space like an uh, like invention land where you can come and, and uh, where it's more of a uh, formal, controlled environment. But if you don't have that, everybody's got a bike pump in their garage. Everybody's got um, tools in their garage. I'm not saying, you know, make, make sure you wear your safety glasses. Make sure you're not going to, make sure you know how to operate the tool. You're not going to get hurt. My um, one time, uh, my my daughter when she I have three children. My daughter when she was younger, um, we were spending um, it was a summer day and we were out in the garage and I was trying to do some work. I can't remember what project I was working on. And she came out and she said, "Well, can I help?" I said, "Yeah, absolutely." So I gave her a Dewalt power drill. <laughs> um, the the battery was only about 25%, so I knew it didn't have a lot of uh, power to it. But she drilled whole, She drilled her name into a. Um, I had just a piece of plywood or a piece of you know uh, one by eight, and she drilled her name into the board. And it took nice. her two hours. So um, one of one of the skills she has now is how to operate a power drill. <laughs> so it. and that that's all it takes. You just have to get out. You know, don't be afraid to. Um, pick up a tool, try to use it. Mm-hmm. Don't don't be afraid to try two different tools and ask yourself, well, which one works better? Does does this one work better? or Does this one work better? Mm-hmm. And um, I I also have a lot of uh, spare parts just around my garage, just to try to say, you know, what what can I build today? What mm-hmm. what what should I do? Um, you know, how can I fix something in my house without Spending any money and and trying to make a, you know, trying to make some have have some fun with it. That's a good catalyst right there because things tend to you know they do wear out or they do break and you know buying new isn't always the answer. It's can I go out and figure out a way? Though um, so not being afraid to take something apart, right. look at it using your observational analysis. Try to find the the broken part and then how can I repair that? 
And uh, if you can walk away with it from that experience with uh, not being afraid of tools and building confidence around that, maybe your maker skills will start to grow. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well said. Oh, thank you. Um, so let's see here. So knowing what you know today, what advice would you give a person interested in entering your industry today? So it's a different that that's a great question, George, and it's it's a different industry today than when I joined way back when. Um, when when I joined, there was you either had you had your mechanical products, you had your electrical products, mm. and where today it's there's a combination. Looking at um, looking at high volume, um, looking at uh, the factories. That, that are being created today, there's really a, a need to understand both the mechanical aspect of a, of a design and the electrical aspect. And oh, by the way, we can collect all this data now and put it into the, put it in a, on a cloud server. So there, there's an IT piece of it. Uh, there's, there's an IT piece to the equation as well. So my, my advice would be learn a little bit of something about everything ah. because it all kind of comes together. Of course, mm-hmm. you want to specialize when, you know, if, if you're going to go to college, you're going to get a degree in something. But try to take a class that you don't know something about. Try, try to expand your understanding so that you at least know you have a minimum, un, minimum level of understanding across multiple disciplines. That's great advice. So it's maybe a little bit of coding, maybe a little bit of uh, mechanical, um, dealing with mechanical devices of some sort, you know, I, when I was a boy, I used to take things apart, and I had some. Uh, my uncle Bob is what I called him. He was my, he was my Cub Scout master, but we used to take stuff apart all the time. And um, I think it was just such a wonderful experience. Um, he didn't have to explain everything, but what I would see is that he would take things apart, and he just figured out he'd figure out a way to put them all back together, and uh, and learned how to use tools and. Uh, in many different forms, but your your advice would be, with where the world's going today, there's a lot of IT, there's a lot of mechanical still, right? Robotics is really starting to take off, and uh, and AI is coming around, right? So, uh, how do we touch? How would you say, uh, from the world that we're in today, you have three daughters, and are you trying to find a way to? give them a little bit of experience in, in those zones as they're growing up? And if you have, have you found a unique way to try to get through to them so they kind of get the picture? Yeah, I, I try to use uh, day-to-day. Uh, it's, there's too many things to teach my, to teach chold, to teach my children all, all at once, so I try to pick one thing at a time. Mm. And um, it's, you know, maybe today it's how to check your oil in your car. Maybe tomorrow... Mm. It's how to change a broken fuse in your car because you honk the horn too much and you bur- and, and it burn out the fuse, you know. Yes. That's okay. Fuses are inexpensive, but maybe we shouldn't honk, maybe we shouldn't hold the horn down for mm-hmm. that long because we know what's going to happen. Maybe that's a symptom of another problem with the car. <laughs> so just trying to use, um, use every day as a learning opportunity to, uh, learn, to learn a different skill, get a different skill in your toolbox, and... Um, uh, just over time, as, as I'd said before, that you, you have all that, you, you have that higher platform. You know, um, 
one uh, a quote that I'd like to mention is, uh, as, as a mechanical engineer, Isaac Newton, is Newton's laws of motion, that, that's kind of like the core, um, the, the core scientist who, who we built a lot of, who I built a lot of my knowledge around. And he had a saying, I don't think it was his saying, he's just the first famous guy that said it. Okay. He, he said something <laughs> to the effect of, if I could see further than, the, than other people, it's because I was standing on the shoulders of giants. Mm -hmm. So, and what he meant by that was, if you, or at least how I interpret that is, is if you can be mentored, if you can mentor someone, they're probably going to start at a higher level in or a higher understanding of how the world works, and they're going to do better than you did. They're going to, you know, and that's we see that through through um, all the all the different technological innovations that are occurring today and the rapid pace of innovation. That's a wonderful quote. Good. And thank you for that. That's another good story. All right. Super. Uh, so next question would be, do you believe anyone can be successful? And if so, what do you think some of the most basic building blocks need to be in order to empower our youth? Yes. I think anyone can be successful. I think uh, one of I think confidence is really important. Mm -hmm. Treating others treating others with respect is important. Being able to communicate is important, and it's not just being able to communicate; it's being able to communicate something of value, something that or an idea or a concept. So absolutely, and I, I believe anyone can be successful. Um, maybe today people get perhaps pigeonholed into, well, you can't do this and you can't do this. And my advice to those people is, yeah, you can't. You know, you, you can. You just have to find a way around that person who, mm. just, who made you, who explicitly told you you couldn't do it. Or perhaps um, a lot of times I know with youth, they may feel as if they can't do something. No one ever told them they couldn't. They just feel... Um, well, I can't do that. You know, I'm not good enough. I can't do that. And right. and if um, yeah, you you can just don't yeah. don't be afraid. If if you go through life, you're going to be stressed out in life. If you go through life stressed about, you can stress out about the little things like oh, you know, did I did I lock my key? Did I, did I leave my keys in my car? Did I forget to do this? Or you can worry about the big things like. Oh, am I going to be late for being on a podcast? With, or, so I've chosen to try to be worried about the bigger things, yes. and then the little things just kind of go away. Isn't that that's great advice? Thank you. Uh, how about um, mentors? Did you have any mentors when you were growing up? What giant shoulders were you standing right, on, John? Yeah, that's a great question. <laughs> um, so of course, you know my uh, my parents. My grandparents. Um, I've, I had a lot of teachers who I know believed in me and um, who helped me to really understand abstract concepts or, or uh, complex, complex things. So as far as mentors, you know, there's not. I don't have any one person in particular. It's probably a, a conglomerate of uh, multiple, you know, d different people. Um, there was the guy who taught me righty tighty lefty loosey. <laughs> right. He was a mentor. <laughs> it's you can learn from anybody. You just have to be able to communicate with them 
and um, you know let them know, hey, I'm I'm having some trouble here. And in that case, that gentleman he saw I was having trouble, and good mm. for him. He could have just walked away. He right. could have, he could have done nothing. Maybe I would have figured it out eventually. Maybe maybe I would have thrown down the tools in disgust and quit, mm-hmm. and uh, not gone into engineering. Yes. But um, now I don't I don't have any one particular mentor. But um, you know, trying to just being being kind and uh, treating others with respect opens the pathways for that positive mentoring communication mm-hmm. where you can learn from someone. Right, and it, and I think as we you know approach where we're getting a little older, it's I think it's a part of our responsibility to mentor those who are younger than us the way others mentored us, right? I mean, yeah. I feel good always trying to help our youth uh, to build their confidence, to try new things, experiment until they find a path that's their path, right? I, don't, I, I like that a lot, so. Absolutely, I would agree. How about, um, do you have any maker tip for today? Like if I was working at SMC or I wanted to work at SMC one day, um, we call them maker tips or, you know, like basic making. So from your, from the world of understanding how air is moved, um, maybe through that pneumatics world, is there any maker tip that would be helpful for me to know if I worked at SMC? So, I'm going to deviate a little bit on, right. that, on that question. It's not going to be specific to uh, to SMC. I'm going to use a quote that I got from my grandfather. Hmm. And perhaps other people have heard this already, but I think it's it's pretty um, it's 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 a, it's a good quote. Measure twice, cut once. Hmm. That's so, a great quote. Yeah, you can you can't put if you cut a piece of wood in half and you cut it too short, it's really hard to put those two pieces back together. It really is. Grandpa did a good, uh, that was good advice from Grandpa. So I see something on the table here today. Uh, Do we want to touch on that a little bit? What's what's going on? Yeah, so what I have here is a, um, it's a part, this is an end effector for a collaborative robot. So essentially, this is two fingers that can open and close to pick up an object, mm-hmm. perhaps move it over here, and then drop an object. Mm-hmm. So this is designed to interface with a common uh, manufacturer of collaborative robots, and it's using compressed air as, as the energy source, so it's a pneumatic gripper. Mm-hmm. And um, here I have all my communications through this cable, through this electrical cable, so um, I brought this because now this isn't everything that my company does, but I do think it's pretty inspiring because now I can say I make parts for robots, <laughs> and that sounds that that captures people's attention. Right, right. And one day you'll be a grandpap, and and hey, what's grandpap do? Well, he makes he makes parts for robots. Enough, That's just cool. Enough said. Then you just drop the mic. <laughs> That's good stuff. Well, what a nice part. So, in other words, I'm on an assembly line, and maybe now I'm not just pushing a box off, right, off of the assembly line that has uh, a million parts going by a day. Now we are picking a box up, maybe pulling it off and putting it on another assembly line. Is that So that's what that robotic um, arm could do for us, right? Exactly, yeah. There, there's, you know, think about it, George, all the... 
all the applications where a person can pick something up and place it now um, if once it becomes um, once it becomes repetitive we can do that now with with a collaborative robot with robots and um, it's you know we're going back to that the the first analogy with pushing a box off a conveyor belt that's kind of brute force where this has a little more finesse this is more of a, a softer touch um, there is still the I don't know this this particular product wouldn't work well with like a donut it's going to squish the donut so there's right. there's you have to think about the force control um, but there are products that can do that type of work as well so uh, where they have different ways to uh, gently pick up an object mm -hmm. without without uh, crushing it. So isn't that interesting? Where we have the world of pneumatics, and then inside the world of pneumatics, there are many other little worlds, aren't there? There are. Yeah. There's there's so many and there's so many different applications. A lot of times we'll have products that are that are kind of general purpose that can be used. In, uh, in a variety of applications, but say, for example, this, this component, this is designed specifically as an end effector for a collaborative, for a specific brand of collaborative robots. Mm -hmm. So it's a very specialized part, um, but as, as, the, as the industry, as other manufacturers complete their product lines and, and build up their product lines, our products are continually changing to match up with those, with those other innovations. Understood. So in the early days, it was your founder as a single person, as an entrepreneur, and here we are all these years later. Are we talking about a couple hundred people who work with the company worldwide, or how, how large is the organization? Yeah, so we went from, in 1959, just one, one person's idea, where today we have over 18,000 employees globally. Isn't that wonderful? Yeah, a lot of people. A lot of people, a lot of a lot of jobs, um, a lot of improvement in people's lives from that one gentleman who decided to venture out there and become an entrepreneur and solve problems. That's right. Isn't that wonderful? I had um. So I, I let's kind of move into the future if we could for a minute. Sure. Um, so what do you think the next big innovation might be in your industry? The next big innovation. Well. We, there's a lot of, uh, right now, there's a lot of cables, and mm -hmm. um, one of the products that we had highlighted uh, recently was our wireless communications system. So a lot of times, um, so I, I really see wireless and products that, that can communicate with different industrial Ethernet networks mm -hmm. and other, other communication protocols. So there's a lot of... Um, I'll call it digitalization. Yes. So combining a mechanical design with an electrical control system, but making sure that it's done in a safe, on a safe protocol with, with all the machine safety in place. So really, um, I guess I'll, I'll summarize, it's, it's really three things. It's sustainability. Mm -hmm. How do we make products with, that consume the least amount of energy that, uh, for, for a given output? It's safety. How do we design products that have that meet all necessary safety requirements so people are safe um, during the manufacturing process and the products that manufacturers are making are safe? And digitalization. How do I how do I send feedback through in, in this for this product that we're looking at here? Mm -hmm. How do I send feedback back through this cable 
to a programmable logic controller so I have a digital record of how many times this, this gripper, how many times it actuated. Understood. And we can use that data for predictive analytics. Mm -hmm. So as an example, if I see a pneumatic actuator and its cycle time used to be three seconds and now it's four seconds, maybe it's time to change that, change that maybe I've got a broken seal, maybe mm -hmm. I've got a leak in the system. So trying to use data, IT analytics, to improve the operation of machines. That's very interesting. So you can predict when, let's say, a seal is going to go bad and you're going to lose 25% of your efficiency on a production line. That's right. And then that leads to additional problems in that system, right? So seeing that uh, you are always running at optimum performance would be right. the goal, right? Yeah, it's almost, almost like... Um, in a way, it's almost like our. You'd mentioned in the beginning about our bodies have, you know, have have. Um, uh, there, there's similarities between our bodies. So if my if my blood pressure is going up, that's a signal I need to do something. I need to exercise more. I mm -hmm. need to, um, re, you know, do something. In, in a in a pneumatic system in a machine, we we see those same signals. We just have to be able to measure them, and pay attention to them. Yeah. So if I'm not taking my blood, if I'm not taking my uh, blood pressure reading when I go to the doctor and I have blood pressure problems, well, it's because I wasn't measuring it. Where it's in today, in, in the future of, uh, of of pneumatics, looking at trying to get more of that data, whether it's blood pressure, uh, the the press, like whether it's pressure, the flow, mm -hmm. the cycle time, the position of a part, and Keep in mind, we have a lot of machines that are produced. We have a lot of data from different machines. So I can, mm -hmm. I can have 10 different machines, and I notice that all nine of them are operating exactly the same within, within a set of parameters. But machine number 10 is, is doing something a little wonky. It's doing something different right. than all the rest. So um, I can study that data over time and, and predict in advance, oh, yeah, I, when, whenever we see it start doing that, that that little thing that it does, it's time to change this part on the machine. So you go down there with your screwdriver and you know lefty loosey, and right. you go through the process of changing that out. That's right. You <laughs> you remember your you remember back to that guy that told you that right. righty tighty lefty loosey. That's right. Oh, isn't that fun? You're having a it sounds like a great career. It sounds like you're happy with your work and you're progressing uh, very uh, nicely. I hope that uh, let's see if there's anything else we want to cover here today. Do you want? Do you have anything you'd like to bring up that you'd like to share with these uh, with our youth today? Because you're going to get a direct impact right into them today. Yeah, just um, if if I can reiterate what I'd said earlier. You know, some of the things I said earlier. Don't don't be afraid to to uh, roll up your sleeves, pick up a tool. Don't be afraid. Don't let others define what you can and can't do whether it's a, uh, an explicit something that they actually said to you or mm -hmm. the way you internalize what they said. And um, just don't be afraid to make a mistake, uh, to make a safe mistake. That's don't, great. Don't make big mistakes. Um, <laughs> those, those sometimes you can't reverse, but don't be afraid to make little mistakes. Yeah, that's what prototypes are for, right? right. Kind of forcing you to only go so far and take a look and then reevaluate. Right. So... Okay, I do have two last, two two more questions for you, John. And then, um, how difficult 
is it for SMC today to, you know, go out there and hire young adults? Um, you know, do they have the skill set skill sets that you're uh, really needing today, or are you needing to do a lot of training once you're finding people that are, have some potential? We, you know, I'd say it's it it depends on the individual. There are some people who um, can come in who may not have. There's some people who come in with the skill set, mm-hmm. but perhaps the wrong attitude. Mm-hmm. There's other people who come in with the right attitude, but the wrong skill set. I'd rather have that, that one, the, the wrong skill set, right attitude, because yeah. a lot of times we can, uh, with, with our training program, we can teach them what they need to know. Mm. Um, it's, you know, there, there's, there's a lot of opportunities. The world is, it is different than, than when I started. Uh, all those years ago, and I'm sure when you started, yes. it's it's a more, it's well, I, I won't get into why, how it's different. It's it's always different, you know. Every every generation, I think, sees has different challenges and different different opportunities. But I I see a lot of um, a lot of positive things happening, and um, you know, there's there's just a lot of a lot of things. I'd, for, for the students of the future. I think one of the things that really hasn't changed, and I, I hope it never changes, that the students who are um, positive and are willing to listen and want to learn, as you're mentioning, that's what you'd rather have is somebody that is willing to to want to grow, right? And I, I don't think that's ever going away. I think businesses and are always going to be in search of our youth that have that kind of mentality. And... Uh, so okay, so this one's a big question for our uh, for a different kind of an audience out there. But what well, if you could share something with our education leaders here in the United States about how they could better prepare students for the jobs of the future? What would you suggest? So that's a great question. I I would probably suggest that. They um, get involved in the same organizations that um, that per, that people from industry are in. As an example, there's a uh, organization called, um, or it's it's like a robotics competition, and that's mm. a great opportunity to network for educators to network with with other professionals in the industry. At at my company at SMC, we have several people who act as mentors on these robot competition teams mm-hmm. and um, just trying to get involved in, in those types of uh, organizations so they can network with, with other, with, with per- so educators can network with professionals yes. and, and get to know them on a, on a personal level, but also understand um, what, understand what skills are needed for that type of, for, for that, for some of the, the, the challenges that we're looking into in the future, and some of those same challenges are are given in these in these robotics competitions. That's great advice. And folks, that is John Halverson. Thank okay. you, John. Thanks for having me. Bye now, everybody. Have a great day. For more information about the innovations and ideas changing tomorrow's world, tune into Tomorrow's World today. Now streaming on Science and Discovery, or visit tomorrowsworldtoday.com.